The enemy has a secret strategy against your mind, and it's what's behind your most toxic emotions and behaviors. But the devil's plot is about to get exposed, and you're about to get set free. This is the Shut Up Devil Show, and I am Kyle Winkler, author of the now-released book, Shut Up Devil, and creator of the Shut Up Devil app. I am all about shutting down the lies and struggles that keep you from thriving in God's design for your life, and I'm here to do it every single week with a live online audience. So if you haven't yet, I'd love to have you join me live sometime on Thursdays at 8 p.m. Central at kylewinkler.org live. Now, when you think about the devil talking to someone, what do you think he says? Do you think he says things to a world leader, like start that war? Or maybe to criminals urging them to hurt somebody? Maybe you think of him talking to a religious leader to have that affair. Or maybe a depressed person to end your life. When we think about the devil talking, most of us think of dramatic things that are blatantly immoral or destructive. And while, yes, those are definitely the kinds of temptations and voices of the devil, on most of us, the enemy's voice is a whole lot more subtle and believable and therefore harmful. That's why I call what he does the secret strategy against your mind, and I'm about to expose it. But first, before we get there, it's helpful to know a few things about the devil. Things that most people miss because they don't know the culture of the time when the New Testament writers were writing about the devil. 1 Peter 5.8 nearly contains everything we need to know, so I'm going to briefly unpack it here. Writing to battle-weary Christians, the Apostle Peter warned, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, I teach this often, but the first thing that most people don't know about the enemy comes from maybe the most obvious clue in this verse. It's his name, the devil. In Greek, it is diabolos, which means slanderer. You know what slander is, right? It's the act of making a false statement intended to destroy someone's reputation. In other words, to slander someone is to lie not only to someone, but about someone for the purpose of damaging them. So keep that in mind as we go throughout this message. The very name that Peter and Jesus and Paul, the New Testament writers, all give to the enemy, at least as he relates to the life of a believer, is the slanderer. As we continue into this verse, a lot of people wonder, why did Peter liken the devil to a lion? Well, first you got to understand, he didn't say the devil is a lion. Big difference. He said he hunts, he prowls like a lion. And you see, Peter, he knew something about that. Everybody at that time did. Because back then, lions roamed freely in those parts of the Middle East. So what did they all know about a lion that relates to the devil? They knew something about how he hunts, like I said, how he prowls. You see, a lion has a small heart and lungs compared to the overall size of its body. That makes it a slow runner 
compared to all the other animals. One of the slowest runners in the animal kingdom, believe it or not. And that affects how the lion hunts. It just can't go after a victim in the moment. But it has to study to determine its victim's weaknesses and how he can use them to go after it. Well, that's just like the devil. The enemy doesn't come out with his horns on when it's most obvious. Most of us would outrun him if we saw that. It'd be obvious, like I said. So he studies our lives to discern our failures, our weaknesses, our inadequacies, to use against us later in his roar. That's the next thing they knew back then about the lion. Obviously, a lion's roar is loud. It's ground-shaking. It's fear-inducing. Nobody likes to hear the roar of a lion, at least not directed at them. But as wildlife experts reveal today, what they would have known back then, a lion's roars really have no substance to them. They're mostly mock roars. They're just loud. But a lion's roars are meant really just to intimidate his victim. And that's the same with the enemy's slander. The devil is always shouting, getting into our ears about our weaknesses. What's wrong with us? And yes, his shouts can be loud, at least as they reverberate through our minds. But they have absolutely no merit. Because as a Christian, if you're a Christian, the Bible assures you that you have the reputation of Christ. It says that as Jesus is, so are you in this world. The Bible calls you a new person in Christ, that everything old passed away the moment that you said yes to Jesus. It says that as a believer, you have been made right and are at peace with God. And that's all precisely what the enemy's roars are meant to intimidate. That's really where he can do the most damage to a believer. As slanderer, the devil's goal is to shake you from the belief of who you are in Christ. That's because that belief is at the foundation of your entire faith. It's at the foundation of your relationship with God, your level of peace and fearlessness here on earth. That's what he's after. So here's the thing. We can't stop the enemy from prowling. And as a human, you're going to have weaknesses and failures, imperfections, that he will keep trying to remind you of. So you really can't stop all of his roars either. But what you can do is stop him from going further. And that's really what this message is about. You see, the next step of a lion's attack is to go in for the pounce. Once he's decided the right time for attack, the lion comes in from an angle its victim can't see, usually behind it. And he jumps towards the victim's head to get to it, to pick at it, play with it for a bit, before ultimately getting to its victim's mouth to suffocate his victim. And that's how the enemy attacks us too. If you don't stop him at his roar, when he's running his mouth, then he goes for your head to get to your mouth. There's so much to this illustration. 
of how the devil prowls like a lion, and exploring that in depth is how I begin the first chapter of my book, Shut Up Devil. But with this foundation, let's talk about how the devil, like a lion, plays with our minds, his secret strategy. Remember at the beginning of this message, I said the enemy's voice in our lives usually isn't as recognizable as start that war or have that affair or end your life, even though he does say those things. But for most of us, it's much more subtle. Like a lion, he camouflages himself inside of our surroundings, hides amid our ordinary routines, and gets into our minds using weaknesses, failures, and inadequacies, often things that are true, all to convince you of something negative, hopeless, all to keep you in a comfort zone, to stop you from pursuing a passion or to get you to give up on a calling. And you're listening to somebody who's lived this. When God first called me to step out into this ministry, barely a month into my decision to follow God's leading, I awoke to a barrage of accusations that just shook the very foundation of me. Out of nowhere, flashbacks of every sin I committed since potty training made me fear I wasn't perfect enough to be used by God. Then I was reminded of all the hurtful words of rejection that had been spoken about me for years, which triggered an insecurity in me that questioned whether or not I'd be accepted in the ministry. Nobody's going to like me. <laughs> and finally, some present battles were brought to the surface that made me think, oh, maybe God can't use me because of some of this stuff. The devil's roars started to get into my mind, to get into my head. So that I started to believe what I was hearing. You should quit and do something else. But here's what was sneaky about his work in my mind. And why I almost believed what he told me to do. Everything I heard was true. The reminders were of events that really did happen. The fears came from words that really were said. None of the accusations were outright lies. But that is precisely what makes the enemy's work so covert and so deceptive. The devil tells the truth. Wait a minute, Kyle. Time out. Hold the phone. The Bible says the devil is a liar. Jesus called him the father of lies. And now you're telling me that he uses truth? That he tells the truth? Yeah, he uses bits of truth to convince you of a flat-out lie. That's why he's so deceptive. That's why his voice often goes unrecognized by us. That's why so many of us swallow his lies and live in such defeat and turmoil and with mind games. This is the basis of his sneaky strategy against your mind. And I'm going to explain. The Apostle Paul gives us insight into the devil's strategy. In 2 Corinthians 10.5, and I'm going to read it from the ESV. This right here is the NLT. I'm going to read it from the ESV. Because Paul writes here about how to engage in battle against attacks. We destroy arguments and lofty opinions. 
raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Arguments and lofty opinions are the two key words I want to focus on right here. These are the building blocks of the devil's lies and the way he plays in our minds. We'll start with arguments. We all know what those are, right? An argument is a way of presenting evidence to persuade someone's opinion. Usually something that includes, because of this, that. Or this because of that. Do this because of that. Believe this because of that. But there's more to Paul's idea of an argument than we read in our English translations. The Greek word for argument is logismos. Logismos. If you listen to that, you might be able to figure out what word we get in English from that. It's logic. So what Paul says here is that the enemy uses logical things, reasonable things, real evidence against us. Things that sound right because they probably have truth to them about something we did face or do face. Some of these might sound like you were a druggie. You are quiet. You are divorced. You are unmarried. You don't have children. You don't have enough money. You are overweight. Your father or mother said this or that to you. You know, on and on and on it goes. The sneaky part of his lie is that you hear one of these logical statements and you think, yeah, I did that, I was that, I am that, feel that, I struggle with that, that was said about me. Then the devil makes a sleight of hand with a lofty opinion. He gives his opinion of the evidence. He interprets it all into something it means about you, about your situation, about your future. Like a prosecutor in court, he builds a case using all the evidence to convince you of all it means. Usually guilty of something. Something that sounds hopeless, unlovable, unvaluable. So here's how his slander might sound. You were a druggie, therefore, nobody will ever trust you. You are quiet, therefore, you don't have the personality to succeed in that role. You are divorced, therefore, nobody's ever going to want you. You are single, therefore, there must be something wrong with you. You don't have children, therefore, you are not blessed by God. You don't have enough money, therefore, you are a nobody. And the list goes on. I mean, there are a million different combinations that he says. But do you see how all of these statements include both a fact and an interpretation and opinion about what that fact means? And do you see how sneaky this is? By using something that is true, that really did happen, that really was said, or maybe is currently felt. The devil gives you his interpretation of what it all means, which causes you to take his lie as truth and cue the insecurity, cue the fear, cue the guilt, cue the shame. What about every other 
negative emotion you might face. So first step to shutting down these mind games is think about what you're thinking about. When you are constantly hearing something in your mind, like one of the 10 root lies that I wrote about in my book, Shut Up Devil, such as God is punishing you, you are unlovable, you don't belong, you are a failure, you are disqualified. You have to learn to separate fact from opinion. You might think, yeah, okay, it's true that I fell to that back then, but it is not true that God is punishing me because of it today. Yeah, it's true that I have weaknesses today, but it is not true that I am unlovable because of them. Or yeah, there are some obstacles, there are some real challenges up ahead, but it is not true that I should be afraid of them, that everything's just going to end in failure or defeat. Now, I know that all might sound pretty straightforward and easily detectable if what you face were only words or thoughts. But in everyday life, that's hardly the case because the enemy's lies are usually bolstered. They usually come with sights, sounds, and feelings that all make it feel really real. Like you can just depend on this happening. I think about a time when some friends and I were struck with fear while on a trail up in North Florida back when I lived there. It was around sunset time, and we had discovered a path, a trail, and it was a public trail. And we knew it ended somewhere, and it came out probably on a public road. But we didn't know exactly where it led. We didn't know how long it was. There's just a sign that mentioned that it was a public trail, and that was about it. So, as we stepped into the unknown, quickly into our hike, the sun set, and the woods got pretty dark to where we couldn't see around e each bend. So you got to kind of get the picture here. There's a canopy of sprawling tree branches over the entire path. So, I mean, it, it was eerie. It looked like something that you'd see out of a scary movie. But we were up for the adventure, we thought. And about a half mile in, we still had no idea where it went or how much longer we'd be on it. But it got darker and darker and darker. And the darkness is really what made it a bit scary. It's really what added to all of this, the feeling of the eeriness. Because in the darkness, there were these sounds in the woods that we didn't know where they were coming from. It was like rustling in the brush just feet away. And that's when a friend asked, did you know that bears have been seen in neighborhoods just miles away? And that was true. I knew it was true because I had just seen a photo maybe a couple weeks before on social media of a bear climbing over someone's fence just miles away from where we were hiking. Well, that truth coupled with the darkness and the eeriness and all the feelings, sent my mind to interpret what it meant. The rustling of the brush must be a vicious animal out to get us. Not without the darkness and all the feelings and everything that came with that. I probably wouldn't have thought that. But those feelings definitely enhanced the narrative in my mind. And so we hiked the rest of that trail in fear of what we were so sure was in the woods. 
Now, thankfully, we didn't hike for much longer, and the trail turned out to be just a mile or so, and obviously we made it through just fine. Those sounds weren't animals looking to get us. They were probably just nothing more than bunny hops and wind. But the point of my story here is to show you that it doesn't take much for a situation to escalate into all-out panic when coupled with very real sights, sounds, and feelings. And this is what the devil's been doing from the beginning. It's how he tries to keep us in a comfort zone and not pursue God's promises. You know the story of what nearly convinced Israel to stop their pursuit of the promised land? It's this exact thing. Facts, feelings, and a false interpretation based on it all. You see, when God freed his people from the slavery of Egypt, he promised to lead them to their own land. A land flowing with milk and honey. A land where they could worship him in safety forever. A prosperous land. Now, Israel's journey from Egypt to that land took a whole lot longer than it was supposed to, and that's a whole separate message. But it's what happened right on the edge of their promise. That's the point of what I'm sharing here. As they got close to their promised land, God instructed their leader Moses to send 12 men to spy out, explore the land, and come back with a report. So they went for 40 days. You can read all about this story in Numbers 13. But the men came back with a report. And they confirmed that, yes, the land is indeed fruitful. It's bountiful. But the reality of what they saw and how they felt overshadowed the reality, the greater reality, of God's promise. In Numbers 13, 28, it says, But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Like I said, these giants completely overshadowed all the positive things that they had seen. And it caused them to shudder from the interpretation of what that reality meant. So much so that at least 10 of the 12 men agreed, we can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. Well, who said anything about that? All they saw were giants. It didn't mean they were stronger. They didn't think about what they were thinking about. They didn't discern fact versus opinion. If they would have thought, okay, yeah, there were really giants there, but God also promised that we'll take this land, and he promised to be with us along the way, so his strength will become our strength, so this can't end in defeat for us. No. They took the devil's bait and gave in to the interpretation of defeat, the imagination, the narrative that he put in their mind. And the Bible says that fear spread all throughout the people. And they began weeping and crying and wishing they had never left Egypt. They were just sure they were going to die. All it took were a few facts, feelings, and one negative interpretation for hopelessness and depression and fear and all their mind games just to take over. 
And these weren't people with no history with God, mind you. (laughs) They were people who had seen some of the most incredible miracles. Yet even they were easily susceptible to the devil's secret strategy against their minds. So none of us are immune to this. But as an outsider looking in, and definitely with the benefit of hindsight, did the reality of giants in Israel's promised land mean that they would face certain doom? Were the sounds in the woods the signs of a bloodthirsty bear about to get my friends and me? Did all the words of rejection in my youth mean that people wouldn't accept me in ministry today? No, no, and no. And I'm here to tell you that whatever you're seeing, hearing, or feeling, even as you listen, does not mean what you're being told it means either. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says that the enemy raises his arguments and opinions against the knowledge of God. Well, the knowledge of God is that he calls you loved and accepted and complete and forgiven. And so much more that the devil tries to convince you that you can't possibly be because of this and that. God gives you all these promises, and the devil shows you why it's not possible because of all of this and that. All to paralyze you, to hold you back, and to keep you quiet. After all, what could incite more insecurity than believing you are somebody that nobody will accept? What could cause more anxiety than believing that nobody will ever love you? This is why I contend that all of our battles start in our minds. In one way or another, they are all the result of what we believe. Hear me. Just because you messed up doesn't mean you are a mess up. Just because somebody in your past didn't want you doesn't mean that nobody wants you. Your struggles today do not make you someone God can't use. In other words, the fact that something is not perfect in your past or present doesn't mean that you can't realize your dreams and all that God has for you. No, it's as I always say, God's word is more real than what you feel. It is your ultimate reality and the only real interpreter of what your past and present and future mean. And that's the second step of shutting down the secret strategy against your mind. After you think about what you're thinking about, after you've discerned fact versus opinion, now you have to bring the greater reality to it. That's taking it captive to what's really real. The Word of God. Had Israel said, sure, there are giants in the land, but God promised over and over to never leave us nor forsake us. They never would have succumbed to the fear. They never would have cried all night long. They never would have felt all that depression and all those mind games. They'd have got to their promise a whole lot sooner, I'm sure. And I promise you, Once you truly know and identify with God's truths about you and get into a habit, develop a habit of filtering the lies you hear through these truths, 
checking what you've heard against God's word, so many of the battles that you face will be a thing of the past. And I can tell you, I am a living example of this. I used to be afraid to talk. So much so I was a preschool dropout. I thought I had a reading problem in kindergarten and first grade. I was so shame-ridden for so much of childhood that I was afraid to make any friends. Many of you have heard my stories. Yet I'm here today talking to you and so many people, putting my stories out there for all to hear and some to criticize. Because I've let the power of God's word, his love, his grace, heal me and free me. And I want to help you experience the same. I want to help you beat the devil in every lie he launches and in every battle you face. That's what this ministry is all about. And that's why I wrote my book, Shut Up Devil, which I am thrilled to say is now available to you. In the first third of this book, I expose how the enemy works in your mind. I explore that analogy of a lion that we went through earlier. How Peter used it in order to reveal how he goes after you. It's fascinating. Then I teach you how to shut the enemy's mouth in the present and future and undo all the effects of his lies from the past. Then with that foundation for the rest of the book, I show you how to silence the 10 lies that are behind every battle you face. Lies like you are still a horrible sinner, that God is punishing you, that you are a failure, that you are disqualified. Shut up, devil. Silencing the 10 lies behind every battle you face is available in paperback, ebook, or audiobook wherever books are sold. But you can get a signed copy with the first chapter as a download directly from my website right now at kylewinkler.org slash shutupdevil. And by the way, each chapter also includes a set of reflection questions that are perfect for individual or group study. So think about getting some books for your friends, family, or church members too. Again, you can get yours at kylewinkler.org slash shutupdevil. Okay, that does it for the Shut Up Devil show. Remember, God is good and he is for you. And don't forget, I'd love to have you join me live sometime on Thursdays at 8 p.m. Central at kylewinkler.org slash live. See you next time.